Welcome, Bird Gang. On today's show, Danny Sarek joins me. Overshadowed in Sunday's win was just how well the running backs, not named James Conner, played. Might we see more of a running back by committee moving forward? Also, the focus this week against the Rams, a faster start. First, though, it's Wednesday, first practice of the week. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 593, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed it. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. Overcast, 80 degrees, the occasional raindrop. Wednesday was the first day in which you can now pick up the phone, Danny, and call all your friends that do not live in Arizona and say, hey, this is why Arizona is the place to live because the weather was just perfect. Although, maybe not so perfect for you out there during practice. I don't know if I would call it perfect. I told Craig, I'm to say it again, I said this to you, don't try and set me up like I said anything differently when we got out to practice just after 8 this morning. The temperature did feel wonderful, but because of the rain, it was a little sticky. It was a little gross, and I'm going to stand by that because it's the truth. But I'm very glad that the temperatures have started to drop. Would you prefer 115 degrees or would you prefer the 80 degrees and maybe just a little bit of mugginess? The 80 degrees with okay. a little mugginess. All right. See, that's that's the difference here. That's why this is the good I think day. you would also prefer that it's 80 degrees with mugginess compared to the 110, 115, because oh, you're the one who stands next to me out at practice, yeah. Craig. In the shade, though. Full disclosure. In the shade. In the shade. In the shade. Yes. All right, let's get into what happened on Wednesday during the open portion of practice. I'm actually encouraged, Danny, more so than a week ago at this time. Yes, there was no Rondell Moore. He's officially day-to-day. But James Conner was out there. Andy Isabella was out there. And then a handful of players had vet days off. So really, knock on wood, no major issues with respects to injuries heading into this Week 2 game. Kind of feels like the first time in a while to be hearing that. Now, at the time of the recording, we have not received the injury report yet so we'll see on that you're right it it was a larger vet day though than normal normally it's it's just really offensive linemen usually Kelvin Beecham and Rodney Hudson Um, on Wednesday's practice Justin Pugh Zach Ertz Hollywood Brown were also in that group Um, but Kingsbury said it was it was rest day for those vets so that was a little concerning we were out there at practice this morning but a a relief to hear that from the head coach not quite sure if I would call Hollywood a vet considering this is year four but hey whatever it takes to make sure you're ready for game day and maybe that I mean maybe they're planning on I know he had a good amount of snaps amping him up this week of I don't know but AJ Green also had a a lot of snaps now he we didn't see him do a lot of work but he was out on the field with the team where the other guys who Whenever they have those rest days, they're usually inside in the weight room conditioning. The encouraging sign with Hollywood and Ertz from this past Sunday was the number of targets. 11 targets each because, again, as we discussed, we all love Greg Dortch. And, yes, he does lead the team in catches and receiving yards, but he cannot be your focal point when it comes to the pass catcher. And if we can get to that point where Hollywood, maybe not double digits in targets, but certainly eight-plus weekly, I would be more – 
I would be more encouraged by where this offense is moving along. It is interesting, and there's a lot of factors that go into that of every game, the defense, and if you're up or you're down, playing from behind, whatnot, all of those things. It is interesting, though, that we haven't seen an insane amount of targets the way Devontae Adams had 17 in week one with the Raiders. We haven't seen that massive number to Hollywood Brown. He only had six targets in week one. What was the number on on Sunday's game in Vegas for him? He had six catches for 68 yards on 11 targets. So more targets. It's just interesting of how hurt that wide receivers group is that even more so before you knew you weren't going to have Ronda Moore or Antoine Wesley dealing with injuries that you wouldn't be targeting Hollywood Brown more with DeAndre Hopkins being suspended for the first six games. That's interesting to me, a player you brought in because of his chemistry with Kyler Murray. And we definitely saw more of that in week two in Vegas, but still looking for more of that. Again, there's a lot of factors that go into play, and I'm, I'm encouraged to see that he did get more targets between weeks one and two. It is just a little interesting that I kind of thought that we would be seeing more than we have so far. Seems like that wide receiver room, they're still figuring things out. Not, not so much roles, but just how to get everyone involved. And that's not the case, and we saw it on Sunday with the running back room. And that's what I want to get into because that kind of got lost in the shadows, if you will. Maybe a little overshadowed as far as the running back and the depth. And how many times did we talk about well, you're only going to keep four running backs, so who's the odd man out? Well, they've got five, still with five. I think Keontae Ingram is going to be the Eno Benjamin of 2022, meaning he is not going to be active at all this season. I think that would be the goal, unless something happens and you look for a roster spot. But the worry that what happens when James Conner gets hurt. He missed two games last year. He was out for much of that second half on Sunday. But when you have a Darrell Williams and an Eno Benjamin – you feel a little bit better. Yeah, you want James Conner to be RB1, but Williams and Benjamin are just as capable. Yeah, and that was kind of what the, the way that Darrell Williams is physically built, and I think his game styles more of James Conner, where you know Benjamin, smaller, little shiftier, um, used more as a receiver, that kind of pairs with what Chase Edmonds was last year with James Conner. So when you lose Chase Edmonds to Miami in free agency, and you have that with Eno Benjamin – this Daryl Williams pickup in free agency is looking really nice so far because when James is not on the field, which usually it's just to give him a break, and now he's day-to-day with an ankle injury, which happened in Sunday's game, you you fill in Daryl Williams, and I thought he looked good. He did have that, you know, that rushing touchdown um, right up the middle, but he's just looked strong. I think that he has looked really good in this offense so far, and I think that we should give credit to Eno Benjamin, too, of that's kind of been a player where – We've heard, you know, he's improving, but you don't really see a lot of him on the field. And then hearing in the offseason that he's made a lot of those mental improvements, that jump this year of understanding the offense and the maturity levels. And so to see him play well when he's been out on the field as well, you're right, Craig. It definitely adds a little bit more relief looking at that running backs group of if you are going to be without James Conner, whether that is he's you know on the bench for a couple snaps or if he is going to end up dealing with an injury at some point. You don't want that drop-off when the right. starter goes out. Darrell Williams, 40 snaps on Sunday, 59 rushing yards after halftime, 30 on the first play of the fourth quarter, but it's what he's able to give you on a per-carry basis, almost 7.5 yards a carry. Now the week prior against the Chiefs, Eno Benjamin averaged 7 yards a carry. Limited number of carries, but both of those running backs, if you do not have a James Conner, all right, 
Let's look who do we have next in line, and that's where you get that running back by committee approach. Cliff has shown, I like to ride the hot hand, but sometimes you can get a rotation going to where these guys aren't getting hit every single time. And it's interesting because in week one, it I walked away thinking, okay, the depth chart had Eno Benjamin and Daryl Williams both as running back two, and it was all Eno Benjamin. Like, that's clear moving forward. And then after week two, it is not so clear. Like, it, it does seem more like they're going to use both of them, more of that committee approach depending on the play call. Um I will say I was one of the person, maybe maybe this is still plausible, when you get to the point of all these players on IR that have to come back and you have to create roster spots up until before Vegas when we had that week of with the Chiefs and we didn't see Darrell Williams except for special teams, of if you have a running back and you're really using him on special teams the way you use Jonathan Ward, maybe it's Ward or it's Williams who doesn't make the cut because you have to make a spot on the roster. But now... I'm not so sure that that is what's going to happen in the future. And a lot of things can happen between this time and when they get into that situation in a couple weeks. But Darrell Williams did look very good in that role against the Raiders. And he has shown the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. He's shown that since he got into the league previously with the Kansas City Chiefs. So now you've got three running backs. Yeah, it's running between the tackles, showing that burst of speed. But also, okay, in a pinch, if you're the safety valve for Kyler Murray – to get that ball and then see what you can do, make some defenders miss. That's where James Conner was so successful last year. Jonathan Ward, kind of the forgotten man. He hasn't played a single snap on offense. He's been more special teams. So to your point, when guys are coming back and looking for roster spots, what do you do when that running back room is still with five? That still sounds like a lot to me, but right now it has worked Small sample size, but it has worked through two weeks. You're right, five, but really four. And and your point of counter Ingram is the chance of not having played the certain number of years to where if the team decides to release you before they can sign you the practice squad, you hit waivers. So that would be a concern that if they let Keonta Ingram hit waivers, he might not clear them, would get picked up by another team. So that would be what they were doing. You were saying, you know, that, you know, Benjamin of – you pretty much just keep him on your roster, but you have no plans to play him because you're still developing him. You hope you don't have to use you him. You hope you don't have to use him, yes. Because he has looked good, and we have to go back to the preseason. But he did he look did, good in camp, too. He flashed enough to the point where this team said, we can't afford. We, we're too scared, too worried that someone, some team might say, all right, yeah, limited film, but you know what? We like what he was able to do at Texas and then at USC to where all of a sudden, okay, your guys aren't going to keep him. We'll take him and then see what we can do. So I do think they're keeping their fingers crossed with Keontae Ingram. Now the wild card in all this when we talk about running backs is Kyler Murray. How much, we know he doesn't want to or prefers not to, but how much does Kyler Murray running the ball need to be a part of this offense? Not a focal point, but a handful of carries. He rushed the ball five times all in the second half, and it was really his running that got this offense in gear against the Raiders. While Kyler Murray has great accuracy, he has the strength for those long throws, when he runs, that's what makes him different, and that's what the defense is scared of, and his ability to scramble and stay alive and evade tackles and create something out of nothing, and to use his legs if that is how he creates that something. I understand maybe you don't have a lot of, you know, run plays in the game plan for him, But I don't have a problem, and it doesn't really sound like he has a problem running the way he did in Vegas, of you're looking, you're looking, nothing's happening, nobody's open, you have the space, okay, I'll run. 
that to me is at least how I pick it up of he doesn't really have a problem in that sense. It's just and I understand as a quarterback, you don't you don't want to have to be relied on like that. You don't want to have to get hurt. You want to use the weapons you have. But I do think these next couple weeks of still not having D Hop, still not having Wesley, who knows when Rondell Moore is going to come back from this hamstring injury. I mean, you you only have so many options at wide receiver. You have Zach Ertz, who seems like he wasn't on a pitch count. He had like more than 70 snaps. I think he's full go now. Yeah, because he was not that week one. Um, but, you know, Trey McBride had one snap. So when you're looking at the receiving options, at least until you can get that hype back in Wesley and Hopkins, maybe you do have to rely on Kyler Murray's legs a little more to, to create something. Kyler can be that spark. And... Initially, when he first entered the league, it was okay. He's rushing eight, nine, ten times a game just because he needed to because that was the only way this ball was going to get moved up and down the field. That doesn't need to be the case. It shouldn't be the case here in year four. But to your point, when necessary, and as Kyler mentioned on Wednesday, whatever it takes to win was his response when asked about his running ability. It has to be a part of this offense just to keep the defense honest. You much rather see that quarterback get the ball into the hands of your playmakers downfield. But if everyone is covered and there's all kinds of opening in front of them, Kyler's very capable of finding those holes and then winning, getting into open space, realizing, all right, where the yard marker is, do I push it or do I just give myself up at this point and wait for the next down? And you have full, full faith in him. You trust him and his ability to do that. That again, I don't. I don't think that's what Kyler is referencing when he's, you know, has mentioned in the past doesn't love to use his legs a lot. I don't think that that's the situation. I think he understands that when it has to be done, it has to be done, and that's that. This quick note on James Conner specifically as we get ready for the first NFC West division game coming up on Sunday against the Los Angeles Rams. Conner last year against the division, eleven total touchdowns, nine rushing, two receiving. It was the most touchdowns scored by any player against division opponents and I bring this up because again Rams coming to town on Sunday 125 is the kickoff 8:30 a.m. pregame coverage begins on the Arizona Cardinals radio network and I know when you look at the Rams it always is with respect to the run game well, what do you do with Aaron Donald and make sure that he is not an offense wrecker that is going to be the storyline this week it's always going to be the storyline whenever the Cardinals play the Rams you have to wear him down. You have to wear him and this Rams defense down. And I went back and I looked at the three times these two teams met last season, twice in the regular season and, of course, that playoff game. The Cardinals only won that first matchup in Week 4. That was the most rushing yards they had in those three games. In that game, they held Aaron Donald to not a single sack, tackle for loss, or quarterback hit. When you look at the other two games, he combined for three and a half sacks, four quarterback hits, and three tackles for loss. So keeping him at bay and wearing him down is the key to to this offense finding success. And you have to account for him and what it's going to take to stop him on Sunday. Now they have other playmakers. I, I forgot actually that um, Bobby Wagner is yes. now a uh, linebacker there. Can't and get him out of the division. You cannot get him. He, Seattle to L.A., a little better weather. Um, Jalen Ramsey in the secondary. So it's not like Aaron Donald is the only piece you have to account for. He's three-time defensive player of the year. You just have to give him the most attention. 
they did lose Von Miller, and I think the Rams, like a lot of teams early in the season, still trying to figure things out on both sides of the ball. But Aaron Donald is the key to that defense, and the Cardinals in Week 4 a year ago shut him down, shut him out, and it probably upset him. All right, I'll say it. It pissed him off, and then that's what happened in the second meeting and obviously in the playoff game, and we saw what he did to win the Super Bowl on the last play against the Cincinnati Bengals. But with respects to... What you've got going on this week on Cardstock and Drew Stanton's perspective from a quarterback point of view with with on this particular matchup, and I'm sure Drew is glad that uh, Aaron Donald was uh, never on the other side when he was on the football field. But a uh, little preview, a little as we promote Cardstock for this week's matchup, what did Drew have to say about number 99. Yeah, I talked about you know pros and cons of are you going to basically run right at him to wear him down or are you going to try him – you know, move around him. And he broke down a couple plays from when the Cardinals were successful and how they addressed Aaron Donald. So go check that out. It's on our website, our YouTube channel. Drew Stan does a great job. You're right, especially from that quarterback's perspective of when you've got a player like this, how do you get around him specifically with the run game, the efficiency of that and turnovers? Uh, we also talked about Cooper Cup, wide receiver coming off the triple crown year where he led the league in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns. However, that week four matchup last season where the Cardinals won, Cup was held to a season-low 64 receiving yards and zero touchdowns. So we talked about how the defense as well can shut down Cup. That that was a game where the Cardinals, you look at you know two of the best players on both sides of the ball, and the Cardinals were able to get the job done on those players. So it's it's how do they do it again? Sometimes it's better to get these teams, these playoff contending teams, early in the season as opposed to late. But the Cardinals are going to see the Rams in a few weeks anyway. There's going to be at least two matchups, and we know the history has not been very good. It's been very one-sided. The Rams have won nine of the last ten meetings with the one win last year, week four. Now, what would help the Cardinals get that win here on Sunday is what has been talked about Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm sure the rest of the week as well, and that is just better starts offensively and defensively, but specifically on offense, getting the ball across the goal line. Zach Allen called it a point of emphasis. DJ Humphrey said that's the focus this week. Cardinals have not scored a single point in the first quarter and just seven through the first two halves in these first two games. Right, that was week one against the Chiefs. They went to halftime Sunday in Vegas with not a single point on the board and that is absolutely something that has to be an emphasis I mean yes on on both sides of the ball and, and complimentary football but especially on offense it's not like they haven't had opportunities they just haven't been able to get that rhythm going early on hopefully the fact that it didn't take two full games but the Cardinals offense was able to near the end of the third really the fourth quarter of last week turn things around as opposed to going eight quarters of looking the way that they did I'm hoping that is helpful that you were able to do that mid-game and that can carry over confidence wise into this week especially because I don't necessarily love this because it's a new season and you have a lot of veteran carryover but a new team but Cardinals lost their five final straight home games last season lost the home opener to the Chiefs that's six straight losses at State Farm Stadium at some point, it's whether they say it or not, the players who were here last year, you're going to start wondering what what is happening. Like a win, I think, mentally, just to get it at home, get, understand the fans, come on. Like I think that would, that would carry a long way as well. Like get that monkey off your back. It's almost been a full calendar year. 
It was with Oh, the, Craig, that is depressing. I'm I'm just stating facts here. No no uh, opinion based whatsoever. It was the Houston Texans and in that game by the way was a not a good start for the Cardinals. That was not a good first half. They really turned actually it was not a good first quarter. And then they flipped the scripts, much like they did against the Raiders on Sunday. That would have been it was week October. six, yeah. because my I started week four last year, which I remember was the San Francisco 49, 49ers game, and I believe the next home game I had was Houston. Is that how you base off of uh, the, the calendar when, on when you started and when, <laughs> and when, you, when you finished, when Only you arrived? Only for some things. You know, a week from um, today was my first day on the job, I believe. I think it was... To that day, the one year anniversary. My one year. What are you going to get me? <laughs> Putting me on the spot, soliciting gifts here on Cardinals Cover Two. Okay, you have a week to think about. I have a week. By the way, October twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. Man, a whole Houston, almost Texas. a whole year. Yeah, they got to do something. They got to find a way to get that home win. Goes back to a faster start. Some numbers, by the way, as I hit you over the head with a number stick. Cardinals have been outscored 40 to 7 in the first half. Opponents have scored on eight of their first 10 first half possessions. Cardinals just one score on nine first half possessions, although one of those possessions was a kneel down at the end of the first half. So really just one on eight. But that is where the faster start on offense and the faster start on defense can defensively, can you get the team off the field? Whether it's a three and out or six plays, one first down, a punt, get them off the field so they don't get momentum. And we know this Cardinals offense, they need one first down to get going, probably two first downs to really find that tempo. Kyler Murray on Wednesday talked about the slower pace that they seem to be playing with in the first half against the Raiders, and then that changed in the second half. But getting that initial first down on a drive, whether it's the first possession or second possession, I think really changes, if you will, and buy into the fact that that momentum exists, but just gives that good feeling to everyone on that offensive field. Let me ask you this. If the Cardinals win the coin toss, do you think they stop deferring? I've been asked that several times, and I, 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 I lean more towards the strategy I like what you're saying, and I know. Looking at the second half, I like the strategy of trying to score at the end of the first half, piggyback with the score to begin the second half, and all of a sudden you've either closed the gap or increased your lead. But now, if you're struggling, and two games, it's a very small sample size, but it's just it's so alarming on the number, meaning 40-7, to seven, on how much this team is not doing what they need to do on offense or defense in the first half. But if you put the offense on the field initially, now the Cardinals have won the coin toss each of the first two weeks. Maybe that changes. The Rams win the toss, and all of a sudden they defer, and we see that Cardinals offense on the field. But I get it, and maybe down the line, if this is a trend that continues past week five, week six, then you get to ask all right coach what just to change just to change it up a little bit as opposed to put that offense on the field first as opposed to having them wait i agree with you i have the same thought in terms of the strategy of how you end the first and going into the second half it's just something that you're right it is probably too soon but just something to think about who knows maybe you're right maybe they won't win the coin toss and this is going to happen whether they want it or not i just it hasn't just been a slow start in the sense of the Cardinals have come so close, they just can't seem to find the end zone. They just 
have not had any sort of rhythm, have not been in sync to start these games. And again, not just their first drive in the first quarter, you, like an entire half, a half in most of the third quarter Sunday. So I don't know what's going on. You can't be a team where if you're not scoring on your first or second drive, you are just mentally, you know, holding yourself back. You, you can't do that. You can't be successful playing from behind. Yeah, the Cardinals did that on Sunday, but you can't make it a habit. And I like what DJ Humphreys had to say about the faster start. Quote, so we wouldn't have to put so much stress on our hearts and give us high blood pressure. Same, DJ, for everyone. I don't know if he was talking about himself or the family and friends that he has watching the game because that's what we feel. Like, why spot a team 20 points just to make it interesting for everyone and entertaining? Why, Why go through that? stress and raise your blood pressure that that's that's not a recipe for long-term success once in a while sure we can look back week two remember yeah we can do it we can do it again but you can't get into the habit of this because it's going to put too much stress literally on both sides and then all of a sudden the defense feels like they can't afford to give up any more points in the off and then when you start stressing you try to do too too much do more than what you're capable of or what you're told to do, and then it just all falls apart. Yeah, and you're not maybe not just like not as focused, but maybe not focused on the fundamentals because you feel that pressure. You feel like you have to do more than you should be doing, and it just kind of spirals. But at least for me, I would prefer that to not have that stress, that amount of stress and the blood pressure at the end of the fourth quarter and in overtime the way that I felt sitting down there on the field. It is exciting. I'll give you that. Yes. But yes, I wouldn't mind a little bit easier of a ball game with respects to, okay, you can calm down a little bit last two minutes and you're not on the edge of your seat, wringing your hands, wondering what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, if this team continues to get off to slow starts and you brought it up as far as just the disconnect, it seems, on offense and injuries, suspensions, but you got to be able to find a way. And this team is known since April publicly about D-Hop. They've had Hollywood Brown in the building since April. So why this offense only has seven points to the first two games doesn't make a whole lot of sense because this that offseason, those five months that you have, that Cliff has with his coaching staff, that's where he's excelled at. And we saw that last year on the 7-0 and start. And now it's like, okay, what, what happened? And I get missing players. But you got to be able to get the ball in the end zone. That that's no excuse to me. That's no excuse this early on when it's not like you have a rhythm and you've been rolling with one guy, one receiver, and all of a sudden it's week eight, week nine, and you have to completely change your game plan in a span of two days. The way that they had to adjust to D Hop last year. You're right. They have known for months about not having D Hop. They have had Hollywood Brown for months, and. Yes, of course, you're missing the high in Antoine Wesley, and, and you don't have Rondell Moore, who is you know, going to have that bigger role this year. You're not the only team dealing with injuries. You know, it, It's important to have that depth. Now, is everybody on the depth chart going to have the skill set of DeAndre Hopkins or Hollywood Brown or even Rondell Moore to a certain extent? No, and I understand that. But you have a very, very good quarterback. You have to find a way. To cre- he has to find a way too. This isn't just on Cliff Kingsbury to elevate the players that are out on the field, and everybody has to step up. That's not an excuse to me. You still have Zach Ertz. You have Trey McBride, who for whatever reason was inactive week one. We heard just mentally not being ready. 
played one snap in week two in Vegas. So I don't know if that's mentally if he's not picking up the game plan or the game is too fast for him. You need If, if he's going to be your second round pick and you're going to have him active, you need to find a way to have him active. I, I just feel like there really is no excuse as to why there have been slow starts when you have the quarterback that you do. You now have your offensive line with your starting left guard, Justin Puback, having the offensive line that you have. And you still have very good wide receivers. Like, there, there really is no excuse to me of the fact that you don't have DeAndre Hopkins out there because you've known about that. That's why you brought in Hollywood Brown. This team cannot go scoreless in the first quarter on Sunday. There are three teams, by the way, that have not scored a single point in the first quarter. Cardinals are one. The Jets and the Panthers are the other two teams. What a group to be Exactly. In. That is not company you want to keep. Cardinals will see the Panthers later on this season. The Jets finally get their first win of the year, but that is not an offense that compares to the Cardinals. The Panthers' offense is not an offense that compares on paper with the Arizona Cardinals. No, absolutely not. That's not a group they should be in. And they would know, They would agree if you said walked into the locker room and said that, Craig. You might get things thrown at you if you brought that I'm up, not actually. I'm bringing that up to anyone but you and whoever might be listening here on Cardinals Oh, that's Cover only two. a few people. <laughs> By the way, before we exit stage left here, and I give everyone the opportunity to throw stuff out at me in the uh, locker room, Folktales premieres the second season of the critically acclaimed historical documentary series, The Hyphen Wins a House, is episode number one. You can catch it on the team's YouTube channel. Again, premiering on Wednesday, The Hyphen. For new people, new fans, what's The Hyphen? Well, that's, that's LaRod Stevens Howling, who was nicknamed by our colleague Darren Urban, The Hyphen. And back in 2010 against the then Oakland Raiders, won a brand new home for a couple of Cardinal fans by returning the opening kickoff 102 yards for a touchdown. And I know you were the one that interviewed the hyphen for this Folktales episode. I am really excited for this episode to come out. It is, when I learned about this, just crazy. The Cardinals ran a promotion, you're right, that if the opening kickoff, home or away games, were taken for a touchdown, a couple would win a home. Win a home, Craig. And this happened. This and and the, then they still had to do the promotion the rest of the year. Could you imagine? Oh, this it was, was the just. Ho- this was the home opener. And you're right. The promotion lasted the rest of the season. Just really incredible. And to have LaRod Stevens howling, we we brought him out to the facility out here. And it was just really great to, to, to get to interview him in person. He walked around the facility, talked about what he saw that was different, too, which was really neat. Um, we talked to the, the homeowners who won the house. Just a really, really crazy, exciting story. And, and all the folktales are. And, and that's what I think is so great about them. It's not just about plays or games. While there are some, yes. But there are so many just unique stories like this one. And how it's not just the opening kickoff taken in for a touchdown. But the implications that it had. It's really, really exciting um, Kyle Deroni, our videographer producer, is the one who who's been working with me a lot on this one. He's put in a lot of a lot of work, and it's it's going to be very fun to watch. and And there's a lot of alumni that make appearances in these folk tales episodes, so was, it's not like you're just going to see Larod Stevens Howlings. There's 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 a lot of a lot of uh, familiar faces in these. I was going to bring that up because in this episode we hear from Ben Graham, 
who we haven't heard from in a while. He was the Cardinals punter at the time in 2010. And you hear from the other players, maybe not the name players, but some of those role players. And and Stevens Howlings was one of those role players. And for those, for that, you know, they say 15 minutes of fame, if you will, winning a couple, a house. I mean, that's got to be tops on anyone's resume. I mean, a name everyone will know is Adrian Wilson makes an appearance and talks about this and talks about Lerat as a teammate. And, and you're right, the special teams of that underdog mentality and to be the type of play. It, it, it is, it, I mean, I'm biased, but <laughs> I think it really is a fun episode to watch. So go ahead and check that out. The hyphen wins a house. And there's going to be, I believe, seven or eight of these folks. Seven tales. of them scheduled, yes. Throughout the year, usually it was last year was more condensed, but it's going to be spread out a little bit more so fans have a chance to enjoy these. Plus, in addition to the video, there's also a podcast as well that our executive producer, Jim Mahundro and Paul Calvisi do. So you get the video, you get the audio, and some similarities between the two, but I know there's a lot of differences as well with respects to what's seen and then what's heard. Yeah, there's lots of options. I believe there's articles and an article, too. Darren. Yeah, don't, don't tell, don't tell Darren. I forgot about the article on easycardinals.com. <laughs> oh, I bet he's listening. He's going to hear for himself. Uh, yeah, it, it is really, really great that our whole media department works together to give the fans so many different outlooks to consume. Sure, the same story, the same idea, but but still, you're right. Have those different details to them, and and still give them and produce them in unique ways different takes on a particular event or a particular player again folktales is back episode one the hyphen wins a house premieres wednesday on the team's youtube channel of course more information on azcardinals.com and on that note we will put a lid on this edition of cardinals cover two presented by hyundai proud partner of the arizona cardinals as always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Mahundro. For Danny Sarek, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.